The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you once again for joining us here on Winning Ponies. I hope you had a slew of winners on Oaks and Derby Day. It certainly was exciting. Uh, we'll see if we saw greatness unveiled. The great news is top three finishers in the Kentucky Derby are coming back in the Preakness. Uh, there'll probably be a few other from the Derby coming in there, and we'll be telling you about uh, some other shooters uh, that are that are going to come in. Um, our first guests uh, are from Equus Interactive, and there's a new racing fantasy game that's coming out. It's going to be unveiled tomorrow, so this couldn't be more timely. Uh, and it's going to focus on the jockeys. That's where you get your points. You make a jockey uh, draft. So uh, we're going we're gonna to have several uh, uh, guests on the show. Uh, one is uh, Jordan Olin, who's the Equus uh, Interactive CIO. He manages the, the day-to-day operations. Uh, then we're also uh, going to have uh, Nathan Highland. I remember his father, a very good trainer on the Midwest Circuit, Angel Highland. He's the Director of Marketing Innovation, and uh, the organization was founded by Jen Viennes. Uh, she's been my main point person on this, and uh, she has a strong passion for the racing industry. So it'll be real interesting to find out about this new game called Race Track Warriors. And then we go to one of the best handicappers in the country, and he's proven it over and over again, Matt Bernier from DRF Live, the racing form. He was at the Kentucky Derby, so we'll get his impressions of the Oaks and Derby. If he wants to mention anything else about the undercard or just the day at the races, uh, he is more than welcome to. So it, it should be a, a very fun show. We'll try to recap as many of the races because there was a slew of them over the weekend. And, uh, also, hope you pulled down some of your winning ponies, easy win forms. Uh, we're, once again, we killed them, man. I mean, at, at Belmont, uh, just uh, this afternoon, a $1 super key, $4,995. Not a bad day at Gulfstream either. 50 cent super high five, hope you had it, $12,256. And also, that's right, May 7th, what a great day for the easy wins at Delta Downs, a $1 super key, $3,865. That's just a few of them. You know where to go, winningponies.com. Get on board. Well, a lot of people got on board with the uh, Derby telecast. It was the highest overnight rating since 1992, and that is good news for racing. I'm sure you were uh, tuned in 
and you're probably scratching your head saying, 92, who did win it back then? Well, that was little E.T., and Pat Day finally got the job done. The top local markets, in case you're wondering, of course, Louisville, number one. Then Fort Myers. I got family down there. <laughs> Maybe it was they had all their TVs on. How about Cincinnati, Ohio was third. West Palm Beach was fourth. And little old Dayton, Ohio was fifth. So they were the top local markets that were tuned in. Indianapolis was sixth. So uh, got a pretty rich uh, focus on thoroughbred racing here in the Midwest. All right, now, Preakness is going to be not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, and again, NBC TV is going to be very proactive. Uh, Some of it's going to be on NBC Sports Network, and that would be on the day before, they're going to show the Preakness Classic from 3 to 4, and then from 4 to 5, the girls' version, the Black-Eyed Susan. Then on NBC Sports Network on Saturday, pretty much a good portion of the card from 2.30 to 4.30. Then the main network takes over at 4.30 to 6.30. You'll be getting the 140th running of the Preakness Stakes. And our friends at Horse Racing Radio Network will have the Black-Eyed Susan and the Preakness Undercard and the Preakness Stakes. Okay, some of the new shooters. Divining Rod looks like he is coming. As you may recall, he was an impressive winner of the Coolmore Lexington, but didn't have enough points to get into the Derby. So he will uh, be going on to the the Preakness Stakes. He's a three-year-old by Tappet. They say he's doing well, and uh, he's going to have to tackle the top three finishers. But remember... He's a fresh horse. He's had uh, he's had a little race. We'll see what uh, came out of the Derby. It was a grueling race. I know that Victor Espinosa really had to get into American Pharaoh to get the job done, but he certainly did. Uh, so uh, we'll find out. Divining Ride is one of the shooters that will be coming. Uh, one won't, and if you were probably watching the, uh, the the Derby close, you got the late scratch on International Star. At first, they thought it was just a minor hoof injury, but it looks like they've diagnosed a hairline fracture in his left knee. So uh, if he is uh, suffering from, you know, uh, an ankle chip, that will be surgically removed. But then upon further evaluation, they discovered the hairline fracture. So uh, they're not worried about the ankle chip now, and they're hoping that uh, he'll make a recovery and and be back later in the season because he certainly dominated all the big races down in New Orleans at the fairgrounds. Well, the UAE Derby uh, invader, Mubtahij, looks like he's going to skip the Preakness, but is going to stick around with his long breeding there from Europe and is going to take a shot at the Belmont Stakes. Originally, they said they were going to go right back to Newmarket and uh, focus on the Emirates-Dubai World Cup, but uh, they decided, hey, let's try a mile and a half. And uh, he just uh, he failed to threaten in the Derby, raced 12th early, and ended up finishing 6th. Uh, so they decided they're staying in the USA. And uh, by the way, if you're planning on going to the Belmont, hurry up, get your tickets, because they've decided to cap the Belmont attendance at 90,000. Uh, they understand that there's accommodation limits, and uh, certainly should American Pharaoh be going for the Triple Crown, the place would be flooded. But they are going to cap it off at 90,000. They, they did have some problems when some of the other horses uh, were going. California Chrome had $102,000. 
36,000 people were stuck trying to get out of there. And then if you go back to 2008 when Big Brown was there, there were so many people uh, washing their hands and flushing the toilets that uh, they ran out of water pressure. So, again, 90,000 only for the Belmont. And, by the way, if you're uh, in the Lexington area and you want to do some off-track betting, most of the time you're going to have to go do it to the Red Mile. They will still have simulcasting during the Keeneland meet and uh, during the uh, big race times and days when there are big races like the Kentucky Oaks and the Derby. Uh, But other than that, it looks like the Keeneland and the Red Mile have partnered up to be simulcast partners. Uh, Let's take a look now at all the great racing that we had over Friday and and Saturday at Churchill Downs, the grade one La Troyana kicked off the graded races there. And it was Molly Morgan, Corey Lannery, with a rail skimming trip, getting up by three quarters of a length in that $300,000 race. In the second spot was Sheer Drama, who is the slight favorite, who just finished ahead of Gold Medal Dancer. You may recall that's the horse that uh, upset Untappable uh, down at Oaklawn Park. Then we moved on to the grade two, Ali Sheba, the winner there. Protonico. He was first pretty much stalked and then ended up winning by a head as the favorite, a Todd Pletcher trainee. Second in that race was Noble Bird. And third, Neck and Neck. Then it was on to a rare race, a five furlong turf sprint. Interestingly enough, it was the outside post that finished one, two, three in this race. Again, a five furlong turf sprint. The favorite, Good Deed, ended up finishing fourth. Uh, The winner was Power Alert, an Australian bred, trained now by Brian Lynch over here. Second was Undrafted, who put in a huge close. Put him on your horses to watch list. And third was something extra. Then we moved on to the eight bells. This is a seven furlong race. The winner, Promise Me Silver, off at five to one. Some amazing horse. A Texas bred is now eight for eight lifetime and adds the eight bells grade three to its resume. Finishing second was callback and third was scat means go at 39 to one. And then it was Kentucky Oaks time. Larry Jones just seems to own this race and he has done a sensational job over the, over the recent years. And, uh, he did it again. This time it was a bit of an upset. Lovely Maria, a horse that was uh, racing against Ama Chatterbox, and uh, but came back, ran a really strong race in the Ashland Stakes. Uh, you may remember Boo Boo Clark coming back, uh, the veteran rider, his first grade one win, came back in tears at the Ashland. Well, tears were flowing again in the 141st running of the Kentucky Oaks. Pulled away to win by two and three-quarter lengths. Uh, the horse owned by former governor of Kentucky, Brereton Jones, again trained by Larry Jones. Congratulations. Couldn't happen to a classier act. Uh, Steve Asmussen ran second in this race with his Shook Up, who lasted by a length over um, a chatterbox. So Larry Jones, the trainer, finishes one and three in the heralded Kentucky Oaks. 
Then we moved on to Derby Day, and it was glorious, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, uh, so glorious that they set attendance records not only in the Oaks, but also in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, The Pat Day Mile. Sounds like a new race. It was. Remember the Derby trial? Well, now it's the Pat Day Mile. The winner in here, Competitive Edge, a Todd Pletcher trainee. Three-year-old paid $750,000 at the sale and uh, was the favorite. Stock took over, drew off by four and a half, so we might have another Pletcher starter in the Preakness Stakes. Second was Pain and Misery, who was originally nominated to the Derby, didn't have enough points uh, to get in. And in the third spot was Gimme Dilute. Again, the Pat Day Mile looks like we might have a Preakness starter out of there. Then we went to the American Turf, grade two, quarter million on the line. And the winner was Diversadero, 20 to 1 on the morning line. The wise guys bet it down to 8 to 1, rallied from 10th and won by three quarters of a length, paying $19.20. In the second spot was A. Lot, who had the lead by two but did get caught. And uh, in the third spot from the outside was World Approval. Then it was down to the Humana Distaff, a grade one worth $300,000. What a finish. A three-horse photo. They fought through the final eighth. It was a fantastic race. I hope you got to watch it. And getting up, Javier Castellano with Dame Dorothy by a neck has never been off the board. Todd Pletcher, trainee. In the second spot was Judy the Beauty, the even money favorite, trained by former Eclipse Award winning jockey Wesley Ward. Judy the Beauty, a neck ahead of Moonlit Stroll. Just a fantastic race on the undercard. Then moving along, uh, we... uh, we had the the, the, uh, the the Churchill Downs, and that was won by Private Zone, who went wire to wire and won by four and a half links. The uh, Woodford Reserve, what a race. A four-horse photo getting the top spot, Finnegan's Wake. So the Irish betters were got down right there. He was ninth and rallied to get up just over Jack Milton at the wire. And of course, uh, the next race, don't have to tell you the outcome there. It was the 141st running of the Kentucky Derby. We'll be talking more about this with Matt Bernier. Of course, the winner was American Pharaoh. Very, very impressive, but he did have to work. It wasn't an easy win. Gary Stevens gave a fantastic ride on firing line. Finally, getting past Dortmund, a horse that had beaten him twice in the Robert B. Lewis and the Los Alamitos Futurity. So, that was a mouthful, but it's Derby Week, so we've got a lot to talk about. And coming up, we're going to talk to not one, not two, but three people about a great fantasy league that's being developed for you fans out there. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we we cover everything everything. let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and hey, we're kind of like breaking a story because this is going to come out tomorrow, so we're ahead of the curve here. Uh, We're going to be talking to three people from Equus Interactive. It's uh, founded by horse players with an expert background in technology, and uh, their team is comprised of uh, racing enthusiasts and technology people who have a strong passion not only for horse racing but online gaming, as I know a lot of our listeners have. So we're going to start out. With my contact person on here is Jen Viennes. Uh, she founded uh, Equus Interactive back in 2013. Unlike me, she's a seasoned technology executive, but like me, she has a strong passion for the racing industry. So it was kind of her idea to put a plan in place, develop a fantasy game, and everybody's into that with different sports, called Racetrack Warriors. Also joining us is Jordan Olin, the Equus Interactive CIO, and he's the guy that manages the day-to-day operations of the organization, and, uh, including being responsible for the strategy and the implementation of this fantasy platform, which we're going to try to learn about here in the next 15 minutes. Um, and the guy has just got an amazing background in technology, so I'm sure that this effort is, is going to come off. And then we've got a guy, I might have a picture of this guy when he was five years old in the winter circle at River Downs, and that's Nathan Hyland. He's the Director of Marketing and Innovation, responsible for player services. Uh, he works together with the executive leadership team, but uh, his uh, father, Angel Hyland, an outstanding trainer, in the Midwest, and I sh- shouldn't leave out uh, uh, Maureen, I'm sure, and as you know, she was a big, important part of the team. So uh, they say Tampa Bay Downs, but I remember them from, uh, from, from Thistledown with the Felicianos, and when they came to Cincinnati, they'd stay with my friend Albert Palacios. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to having uh, Nathan on, too. So uh, let, let me rewind the clock here a little bit. Uh, Jen Viennes, let's start with you. Uh, Paint with a broad brush your background and your creative thinking into creating this. Uh, thank you, John. I'll absolutely do that. Um, so it's, it's exciting uh, to be part of your program. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've been a horse player for many years, enjoyed the game. My dad was a horse player, right? Um, I own horses, um, and, and I love everything about horse racing. And uh, a couple of years back, um, frequenting Tampa Bay Downs, um, as I had in the past, um, I, I got this idea about uh, fantasy racing and contests. I've always been interested in the NHC and, and the game itself. 
Um, and so I approached Margot Flynn, who's been an extremely great supporter of our organization. Um, and I approached Margot and talked to her a little bit about putting some fantasy contests together, maybe in NHC, uh, for Tampa Bay Downs. And, and she was, she was really excited to help us out and very interested. Um, so we put the Live It Up Challenge together in 2013. That was the first contest. And it was sort of like a test to see how things would go. Um, and, and, and it went really well. It was really exciting. And out of that, um, got together with uh, Jordan. Who was, Jordan and I worked together for 20 years. And, and um, you know, we have a longstanding background in technology. I've worked with some of the top technology companies, and, and I do. Um, so certainly not, you know, with a capacity to run a business right now, but went right to the uh, individual who I knew could help develop the right fantasy platform and help put this thing together and put it on the map. And that was Jordan uh, with an amazing background that he had. Um, and, and as we, as developing the company and thinking about the type of games and the things that we would do, um, you know, the NHC type games is something that we offer at Racetrack Warriors. We actually just had our first NHC, um, of our own, uh, last week and we enabled Tampa Bay Downs again this year, uh, with the Live It Up Challenge 2 where they gave a seat away, uh, to the NHC and had a great contest for that. And maybe some of your listeners played in the Tampa Bay Downs Live It Up Challenge. We did their Christmas contest. We did Festivus. So that was part of our fantasy platform. And then, as I said, we did our own Warriors Spring Challenge last week. Um, and, and, and we had, a, had, had two winners in that contest. And we'll do the Warriors Summer Challenge um, again on August 8th. Um, with the NHC, we actually have the lowest takeout. Um, and that's something I'll talk a little bit about tonight is takeout and, and what, you know, horse players go through and think about. Um, when they're playing these fantasy games and, you know, what's in it uh, for the horse players to, to sort of augment um, their, their horse play, if you will, uh, with some of the fantasy things that you can do online. So an enjoyable game. We love it. Um, we play. You know, we, we, we're all um, horse players, um, except for Jordan, but we're, we're trying to bring him in. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and we love the game. Um, so, so we put the company together. We've been in the market um, officially with Racetrack Warriors, we had a soft launch in January, and we played around for, like I said, for a few months. We got very serious um, about things in March and April with the NHC contest that we put together and, and, and working with Tampa Bay Downs this year. It's extremely serious effort to launch a company. Um, and now we have Jockey Draft, um, and we partnered uh, with the PDJF and the Jockey's Guild to bring a very interesting fantasy game to market. Um, there's, there's been a lot of interest in draft games. FanDuel and DraftKings and you know, the NFL and baseball and all the other sports out there. And our athletes and horse racing are just as important. And, you know, they put their life on the line every day. And uh, we thought about new and innovative games that we could bring to market in the fantasy space. And, again, wow. uh, we're close with Jordan and with Nathan Highland. So Nathan has been a big creator um, of the games that we put together and, and works with our players. So, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to let Jordan talk a little bit about uh, the game itself and the infrastructure, and then Nathan as well. All right. Well, Jordan, ed- educate me because uh, I-, I still struggle a little bit with the technology side. Uh, have you made it easy for me uh, to get into the game? Well, I-, I think so. I think we've made it a fun game, and I think having this focus on the jockey, which is really unique, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to describe visual things with words, but we'll try our best, and, and Nathan will definitely uh, be able to provide a little bit more of the color commentary and, and industry-oriented background. As, as Jen pointed out, I'm still learning uh, my chops in the industry, but I have a long uh, history of being able to make things work from a technology perspective. So one of the things that 
we've been really focusing on is building a reliable and flexible pl- platform to support extended and large amounts of folks playing the game. But what we've been able to do is to incorporate lots of statistical information directly from Equibase. We um, are one of the few fantasy sites that officially license all of our information and statistics through Equibase. We have a really tremendous relationship with the Jockey Guild and, and as part of you know what we're doing for uh, you know the, uh, the different charity organizations and the uh, PDJF. And so we have, you know, all of the, you know, uh, guild member jockey images and stats um, as part of the game so you can see the, the information about the jockeys as you select your lineup. So you go in and you select a game or you can even create your own game. And as part of that, you visually get to see the list of jockeys that are based in the tracks that you want to play. And you have a nice click and drag kind of interface to be able to select your lineup. We have... Uh, a draft model, and Nathan can go into a little bit more detail about the draft, but we've developed a proprietary algorithm for determining salaries based on several factors for the jockeys, uh, you know, on their historic performance and, uh, you know, kind of how you would rank them as athletes. And we really feel that our jockeys are athletes. It's, it's you know, one of the things that I think, as I've learned more about the industry, that they're really the unsung heroes of the industry because they really, uh, you know, are the linchpin players. It's, it's you know, the focus when I watch the races and, and the derbies and stuff, it's been a lot of focus on the owners and, and such. And, you know, the jockeys themselves really don't get the recognition that I, I think that, you know, understandably they kind of deserve. So we really try to do a lot to, to make the Rockies, the jockeys more like rock stars, uh, you know, than just, you know, parts of the system. So I love it. I love it, and I'm in, I'm in total agreement. Well, I'm, I'm down to the four-minute mark, so I want to bring in uh, uh, Nathan Highland, the Director Nathan. of Marketing Innovation. Uh, uh, Nathan, uh, how are you? How's your family? I I, I know that I've uh, I've met your dad on uh, many occasions down here at uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, absolutely. They're doing good. Uh, they're down here in Tampa. This is home for us, and uh, you know, thanks for having us on. This is really exciting stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be, you know, at least still a part of the game and, and doing something to uh, hopefully, you know, change it for a positive future here. Now, uh, the next thing I want to do because uh, is, is I want to know, you as the director of marketing, our people are listening, they're saying, everything I've heard so far is great. I want to get involved in this. How do they log on and what are the benefits? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, um, uh, we, our uh, website is racetrackwarriors.com, and you can sign up for a free account uh, right now. We have uh, jockey, game, jockey Draft games that have gone up. We have uh, two free games for tomorrow. We actually held uh, a couple, you know, preliminary games uh, yesterday and today just to introduce it to the players. And uh, they can get there via uh, jockeydraft.com as well. That will bring, uh, bring you to the racetrackwarriors.com site. And uh, once you log in, you'll see our interface. Like Jordan said, you can create your own game. You can see the games that we've created. And now just to go into the Jockey Draft particularly, uh, Jockey Draft is your daily fantasy game. Like you will see, like Jen mentioned, the popularity of DraftKings and, um, and uh, FanDuel. They have a daily fantasy draft where the top athletes have the top salaries and you have a salary cap to pick within. So our game is you pick eight jockeys and you have a $100,000 salary cap, so you must stay at or below that number. And now when you say you salary cap, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, so when you think of... Well, once a once they earn that, your, your points are done for that, Jackie? 
Well, no, each jockey is given a mythical salary based on their, their historical performance. So, you know, your top jockeys are going to have the highest salary. So, you know, your Javier Castellanos and your John Velasquez's are going to be the most expensive guys to pick. So what you have to do is you have to build a team of jockeys within that $100,000. So you, get, you have to pick eight jockeys, and you, pick, uh, you have to stay with, uh, at or below that $100,000 mark. So throughout right, the day, well, each jockey. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I well, I my uh, producers tell me I'm, I'm up against the wall here with about a minute left. So I want I want to go back and again let our listeners know that when this is going to be unveiled, and if you'll repeat, where are the places they can go to find it? I'm sure you're going to be uh, get some headlines tomorrow and a lot of the. Uh, the publications, but I want to let them know one more time where they go, and I'm sure once they get there, they'll find out how to play. Yeah, absolutely. It's racetrackwarriors.com. They can get there via jockeydraft.com, and I just want to remind everybody, a proceed of each game goes to the PDJF, the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Fund, and the Jockeys Guild. You know, we're giving back to the jockeys as well, so this is uh, it's a good thing. It's giving back to the game. Uh, it it is, and, and as you know, as somebody that's been close to the game, Nathan Highland, uh, how how important it is, and I'm glad that uh, uh, that Jordan Olin uh, from Equus is uh, you know getting his teeth into it, and it certainly it sounds like he understands that uh, they are the athletes in the game and uh, if you don't believe it get on a 1200 pound horse and try to hold them and i want to thank uh jen viennes and for her efforts and i wish you guys nothing but the best it sounds like a lot of fun i'll let you know i'm going to be playing because i got some jockeys that are going to fly under the radar and i'm going to kill it <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to having you come on and kill it john we look forward to having you and everybody um join us in the game we're really excited um, and it's one of the lowest take-up fantasy games out there at 8.5%. So it's in, and a portion of that goes to the best charity out there. It supports our athletes. So we're excited about that, and we're excited about JockeyDraft.com. So we invite everybody who starts tomorrow. Um, games are up and, and ready to go in the morning, and we're ready to go. So we're really looking forward to it and uh, getting everybody out to JockeyDraft.com at Racetrack Warriors. Hey, thanks a lot for, for letting us know. Thanks a lot for putting this together. It sounds like a, a, a lot of fun. So uh, I really appreciate it. It's hard having three uh, people on and getting that much. But, again, Racetrack Warriors is going to be coming up. I hope that our listeners are a part of it. Also coming up next, Matt Bernier. He's going to tell us uh, what he saw and experienced and analyzed at the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. You're listening to Winning Ponies. <laughs> The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, you see him on DRF Live all the time with his partner, Dan Illman, who we had on last week. But uh, I guess that uh, he drew the good straw, because from from what I understand, uh, Matt got the the chance to uh, to head on out to to Louisville. Um, Matt, welcome back on the show. Uh, did, Did you get to catch the Oaks and the Derby? Hi, John. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to go down. I was doing a little bit of work, obviously, for, for DRF and doing our DRF Live thing, but uh, I also did a couple things for Sports Center and ESPN, so I was lucky enough to be down there front and center, and uh, I made it back in one piece, and now, obviously, we're getting geared up and digesting everything, getting ready for the briefness. Well, uh, and I will tell people before I let you go that they're going to be keeping you busy on uh, Preakness Week, uh, DRF Live is going to have the uh, Preakness Post Position draw at 4 o'clock uh, on the 13th, and then uh, following day on uh, Thursday, uh, you and Dan are going to be at Pimlico Racecourse or just covering Pimlico Racecourse? We're going to be down there. We're heading to Baltimore. I believe Dan and I are going to leave on Tuesday. We'll be down there throughout the week. Great. So uh, the the forms are giving you gas money. That's good. And then uh, Thursday, the advanced PPs come out. Uh, you got the the black eyed Susan will be coming up on Friday. And so you're going to have to go to work a little early, do some double duty, because I guess uh, DRF Live is going to be covering the black eyed Susan day at Pimlico too. Yeah, we're going to be going wall to wall down there at Pimlico, and you know, fingers crossed the weather cooperates. If it's half as nice as it was in Louisville last weekend. Uh, I think we're going to be in good shape. But it should be fun, and obviously, like you say, all your updates, live.drf.com. Well, yeah, I love watching you guys. It's great. It's just, it's just like hanging out with some friends in the press box. Well, you certainly could not have picked a better weekend. I've been to my share of, of Oaks and Derbies, but it was just magnificent. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was just right, as the Three Bears would say. Um, just a perfect day. Uh, very formful racing uh, for for the big races. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the Kentucky Oaks, let's face it, uh, uh, Larry Jones just really seems to have a magic wand when it comes to that race. Uh, Stellar Wind, you know, was the favorite and probably deservedly so with uh, three lifetime victories from four starts, the last three all wins and dominant in the San Diego Oaks. Victor Espinosa's always going to draw a you know uh, betters to the window the way he's been on a roll the last couple of years. But there there couldn't have been a better heartfelt story than Kerwin Clark winning on Lovely Maria in the style he did. Well, I mean, how about the uh, the week the months that Kerwin Clark had? He gets his first Grade One in the Ashland aboard Lovely Maria, and then he comes back four weeks later and wins the Kentucky Oaks. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Going into the Oaks, I'll admit I was completely wrong. I underestimated how good Lovely Maria actually was. But she, her tactical speed was really the difference maker in that race. You go back and you watch it. 
I think the most disappointing horse in the race was Condo Commando. She was the pace setter. And really, once she was put away, Angela Renee and lovely Maria were sitting just outside. And for a minute at the top of the lane, it looked like Johnny V and Angela Renee were going to scoot away and make a move. She flattened out as she tends to do uh, more often than not. And lovely Maria, she really kicked on nicely. I was a little bit skeptical about the pedigree, how far she actually wanted to go. And if you go back and you watch the replay that Ashland, she was a little bit late to change leads down the lane. And that was a bit of a red flag for me that she couldn't quite put it all together. You also factor in that she would have to go back and face on a chatterbox and sell her win and, and asking for money and bird at the wire and all these good fillies. Um, I underestimated her a little bit, but she ran a big race. And like you say, pass off Kerwin Clark, uh, you know, it just goes to show that patience, take your time, do what's right, and uh, you'll get paid off in the long run. Well, it was a great story and, and great connections. Former Governor Burton, Burton Jones and uh, the Jones boy, Larry Jones, get, getting the job done. And, and I'll tell you what, a, a horse that uh, both Dan and I uh, thought could really uh, be a player in this game was Ama Chatterbox. Uh, she has shown the ability to race on the front end and to rally, but I think uh, having to come all the way from 11th in that pack field uh, cost her a little bit. But nonetheless, uh, you know, Put in a not a bad effort, and I guess Asmussen felt like he wasn't under any pressure. Nobody expected Shook up to to do much of anything. He had told Bob Fortas on the backstretch at Churchill, he's like, "Hey, I've got no pressure. I'm going into this race. If she runs, she runs." But it seems like anybody that's been racing against Ama Chatterbox has come out and put up big races. Well, and that was the thing too. I mean, you look at that Louisiana form for those prep races down there for the Phillies, anyway. The form really held up. I mean, they ran one, two, three in the Oaks. And uh, you mentioned I'm a chatterbox. The thing I liked most about her was that she had shown three different running styles and her three different victories. You know, she was on the lead. She stalked and she came from out of it. I I tend to think that she got, I think she was about a hair slow out of the gate. And that may have forced Florence Giroux's hands to just take her back and make that one run. I would have been interested to see how she would have run if she were a little bit closer to the pace. And Dan and I talked about it a little bit yesterday when we were on live. You know, I, I have a feeling that this is the kind of division that these Phillies are all very evenly matched, and I won't be shocked if they just take turns beating one another. And that's not necessarily a knock. I think there's some quality there. I just think they're very evenly matched. Yeah, and uh, let, let's face it, that really kind of mirrors uh, the, the boys' division. Um, you know, uh, in in any other year... Uh, American Pharaoh would be uh, being held as a, uh, you know, triple crown champion. But let's face it, this group of boys is so deep that it's it's awful hard to put a ring around him uh, to win the triple crown, as everybody would like to see for the sport. Uh, but let's face it, uh, as sensational as he was on Saturday, he had to work to get it done. And for me personally, that's the most intriguing thing going forward. He's clearly the horse to beat in Baltimore. I'm just concerned with how much did this race take out of him. This is the first time he was really asked to run at all. And and you never know quite how well horses are going to bounce back, especially wheeling back in two weeks. Um, I thought he was very good that day. I know a lot of people, I termed it a perfect trip, and some people took me a task for that. When I say perfect, I don't mean it was you know, a dream trip. I feel like there's a big difference between the two. A perfect trip, if they had drawn it up prior to the race, keep him out in the clear, stalking the speeds, and make your move turn it for home, essentially what he did. 
I thought he ran a big race. I have to be honest. I, I still think it's going to sound like sour grapes for anyone that saw who I picked in the race. I think Frost had ran the best race by far because he had such little pace in the grand scheme of things to run at. Uh, a, a very good point. Of course, America Farrow did run a bit of a wider race. I was reading one of the reports today, and I guess uh, you know some people think uh, Espinoza perhaps had worked a little too hard on the horse, but that horse had to dig down because you know a firing line and Dortmund were forces to be reckoned with. And uh, I was listening to I don't know if you were in on the. Uh, the interview with, with, with Baffert today, the conference call, and uh, what he says is, in his opinion, the Preakness is the easiest race. Of course, he's proven it time and time again because he's like, well, these horses are already wound up. I don't have to do a whole lot with them. You know, he, he, I'm sure that if Dortmund was trained by anybody but him, he would prefer that the horse was not in the race. Uh, the shorter distance could play to him. But I'll tell you what, you, you listen to, to Gary Stevens and uh, – He's genuine about his his faith in, in firing line. He finally, uh, you know, got Dortmund off the schneid there. Uh, some people were saying, well, who did he face in the Sunland Derby? Well, the bottom line is he faced the clock and set a track record, and he came back and proved himself last Saturday. Yeah, and that's another one I've got to admit, you know, for as well as I thought I went through and handicapped the race, and, you know, it was a rather formful race, let's be honest, but firing line, was one that I questioned because of the six-week layoff, and what did he really beat in the Sunland Derby, and did he get enough out of it? Obviously, you proved me wrong. You ran a big race. The, the thing I have a concern going forward with, and like you say, it's always positive to hear, especially someone like Gary Stevens saying how confident they are in the ride and the mount. I have to be a little bit concerned about the fact that he didn't change the lead, and this is something completely new. He had never done that in the past, and... I, I think if he changes leads, he's got a very good chance of winning it, beating American Farrell. I, I have to wonder going forward now, is that something that's going to hold him back? And he's very quickly, and again, it makes it sound like I'm bashing him, but I'm really not. In a short amount of time, he's quickly become the horse that is just finding one better than him. And I know it's probably much too early to be pigeonholing him into that sort of horse but it's at least crossing my mind saying, hey, you know what, if you change leads, there's a good chance you win the Kentucky Derby, but you didn't, and you found one that could beat you. If you look at that race in the, in the Bob Lewis, it looked like you'd beaten Dortmund, but then you didn't. You let him back into the race. Again, I'm probably being a little too harsh early on, but I'm a little bit leery about him going forward. And quite frankly, uh, Matt, um, Gary was surprised too. And he said, I really didn't know how to react to it. And he said, but I've learned over time that as long as the horse is moving forward, um, you don't start, you know, trying to crack him on the shoulder, trying to get it, because sometimes you spend more time doing that and end up confusing a horse that is still moving on forward. So I, I don't know if there's anything they're going to do. I don't know if it was the massive crowd that uh, could have spooked the horse a little bit or if this is a sign of, you know, him getting tired going a mile and a quarter or uh, just a hitch in his get-along. Now, how about your um, your look back on, on Dortmund? He he made the lead, I thought, pretty much effortlessly. I thought uh, Martin Garcia did a fantastic job at, at slowing the pace down. When I looked up there and saw the half-mile marker, I'm like, holy cow, we got like the top three, four horses out of the lead, and I don't see anybody getting by these guys uh, with, with this nice, tepid pace they have going. 
No, I, I thought Martin Garcia rode a brilliant race, and, and I got to be honest, when I saw that half mile, I immediately got a little pit in my stomach saying there's no way Frost is going to be able to pass them all. Um, all things considered, I thought Dortmund ran his race. And, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with running third in the Kentucky Derby when you lose the two horses that a lot of people have thought very highly of. Um, I, I think you mentioned a very good point going forward. If he does run in Baltimore, that cut back to a mile and three sixteenths. I think that could play right into his hand because there's a couple of things that we've all got to keep in mind. American Pharaoh, whether you, you think he is the next coming or you think he's a little bit vulnerable here, no matter what, he's going to be in that three to five range when it's all said and done. Your second choice, I think they're probably going to be co-second choice if they do go, both go firing one in Dortmund. You could easily get five to one on each one of those horses. So a lot of people are jumping off the Dortmund bandwagon right now. I thought he ran his race. I was a little bit disappointed with the, when you see the times and the fractions that were cut out that he couldn't hang on a little bit better. But I think it's too early to just completely say, oh, you know, he can't do it. He can't run with Pharaoh. He can't run with firing line. We've seen this is a horse that likes to fight. I think he has every right to improve or replicate this effort that he ran in Kentucky here in Baltimore about a week and a half. Well, uh, being uh, kind of a New York-based guy, you've probably seen Frost a little bit more than, than, than most. Um, what is the word from his camp? Are they looking towards the Preakness? I, last I had heard, and there's nothing official yet, I don't believe, but I think they're planning on keeping him at Belmont Park and getting ready for the Belmont Stakes. Uh, I'm, I'm personally happy about that. I think it's better at this point give the horse a you know, good four weeks off, let him get back into the swing of things, because he ran every step in that race, too. He traveled the most round in the race, the only one that traveled more than American Pharaoh, and I guess that's just a product of the running style coming from the back of the pack and having a loop outside. I will say, I think he has a huge shot. Let's say American Pharaoh does get through the Preakness and goes on to Belmont. I think Frosted has a huge shot of squashing this whole thing and not having, you know, not allowing the Triple Crown to be won. The only concern I have, I think he needs to be much more forwardly placed. We've seen Belmont Stakes horses generally that run well or win are much more forwardly placed. You can't be coming from well out of it. And this is two races in a row that he's had half miles running 49 seconds for himself. He's going to need to be a little bit more forwardly placed. I hope Joel Rosario and Kieran McLaughlin can get him a little bit more early speed like we had seen in some of those races in Florida. Well, and before we get on to, to looking at, at some of the Belmont uh, races that are coming up this week, uh, I wanted to get your read on, I guess, what we could call the mystery horse. He was my saver because I didn't know enough about him, and I was impressed by his last race, was uh, Moub Tahij. Uh, they were going to go back to Newmarket, but Michael DeCock uh, decided that he's going to stay and go with a mile and a half. Of course, he's got that European breeding that says uh, that probably won't be the problem. Uh, what was your read on him in the Derby? You just kind of was there, you know? Yeah, he was kind of one paced, and I suppose that I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to say about him. You mentioned he's got pedigree. He's got distance on his side, the breeding anyway. I think if you can get a scenario where he's more forwardly placed, like he was in the UAE Derby, where that pace that day is probably a little bit more similar to what he'll see in Belmont. And again, people have to keep in mind that you can't take those numbers in UAE and at Maidan at face value because there's no, it's a standing start. There's no run up or anything. So that, that number may be a little bit quicker than the 51 or 52 half mile that you immediately look at. If he can be a little bit more forwardly placed, I don't think distance is a problem. I think that's the kind of running style that's going to fit that race. 
perfectly. I don't see any reason you can't get involved. No, and when I look back at his European uh, a, a form, I'll just take his last three races, track leader, track leader, track leader, track leader. So, yeah, he, he, can, he can be up there. Again, let's face it, it, he faced all new circumstances, you know, coming across the pond, acclimating uh, to, to the weather, to new surfaces, a train on, uh, you know, synthetic, and then came down to Churchill, so... Uh, you know, Michael DeCox went over 100 grade one races, so who, who, who is John Engelhart to question this guy's tactics? Well, and, and I, I could be wrong. Someone had told me after the race was over that one of his quotes was, I know how good my horse is. The horses that finished ahead of him are very good. So take that for what it is. I think a lot of people are jumping ship saying, ah, you know, this wasn't the brilliant win they wanted to see from American Pharaoh. I think this is still a really good group of three-year-olds. I think it is, and, 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 I'm, and I'm excited. And, uh, again, we're going to see horses are going to take a break and shoot to the Belmont, and then in the Preakness we're going to see, you know, some horses like Divining Rod that, that hadn't shown up yet that have been freshened, uh, made kind of impression in his last start in the Coolmore Lexington uh, at Keeneland. So um, it's exciting, but I'll tell you what, uh, uh, if American Pharaoh would come along any other year where there wasn't so much talent, people would be putting a ring around him. But he's going to have his work cut out for him if Baffert uh, believes that that he's got a, a triple crown winner. You know, uh, I don't have to tell you that uh, a race that's uh, had a lot of impact on the Belmont Stakes over the years, and you just ask the Hall of Famer Woody Stevens, is the Peter Pan Stakes that's coming up at, at Belmont Park, a mile and an eighth, a grade two, 200,000. Um, we spoke off the air about, uh, surprisingly, that only five horses showed up. Uh, but it, it, this has served often as a prep. Uh, four of the five were nominated the Triple Crown. And I uh, just kind of want to get your, your, your read on this. It seems to me it's going to be a jockey's race. You only got five horses uh, going a, a mile and an eighth. Uh, most of them kind of show that they like to sit back a little bit and come from off the pace. I don't see outside of uh, two weeks off the Pletcher horse uh, who put in a bang-up uh, race at Keeneland, um, you know, that there's going to be any big speed duel. It looks like he's going to go to the front, and these other ones are going to be chasing him. Uh, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum, what's your look at the Peter Pan that could produce a Belmont starter? No, I look at it very much the way you just described it. I think this race begins and ends with weeks off, and it's not necessarily because I love the prospect of him staying nine furlongs. That race that he ran at Keeneland was brilliant, very, very impressed. And I thought it stamped him as the King's Bishop favorite going forward, or even the Woody Stevens uh, on Belmont Stakes Day. He is the controlling speed in the race. The big question for me, I look at the pedigree, I see Harlan Holiday, and I see an elusive quality mare that doesn't, instill a lot of confidence in me that he's going to be able to stay the distance. That being said, it's got to be a positive that you look at it and see the connections are saying, all right, you know what? We're going to try and jump into the deep end of the pool and see if he can run. That being said, I'm hopeful that his JD can keep him honest a little bit early on because when I go back and watch the race that Wolfman Rocket, the inside horse, ran when he broke and made in a stakes race in the Northern Spur at Oakland Park last out, he was so wide throughout. He must have ran a mile and an eighth in a mile race. I think it was more a product of Victor Espinosa knowing the horse he had beneath him. He sat a really nice outside stalking trip throughout. When he finally pushed the button at the top of the lane, he had to work a little bit, but I think that's good for a young horse. And he went on and did so nicely, galloped out beautifully. 
I don't think distance is a problem for this horse. I think it's a little interesting your Rad Ortiz is taking them out, and none of the California riders are going to come out for this one, but that's not a knock on Arad. I know Bob and, and Arad have uh, worked together a little bit, but I, I'm hopeful that the outside two can go honest enough early on to set things up for Wolfman and Rocket. The problem is I don't think I'm going to get it right. No, no, you're you're probably not. And again, Wolfman Rock, as you point out, the, the pedigree of two weeks off. Let's face it, you know, this is a grandson of APND, you know, uh, uh, by mine shaft. You know, uh, we're talking about horses that can get get a route of ground out of a deputy minister mayor. So uh, I just don't think that, uh, you know, the distance is going to be the question. You look at the progression of this horse that Baffert's given him, six furlongs, seven furlongs, a mile on Saturday. He's going to go a mile and eighth. Uh, should he impress in the Peter Pan uh, uh, from what I heard from Baffert today, it sounds like he may well stay in New York, another one that could upset the apple cart for American Pharaoh. I mean, could you even imagine if we get to a scenario where, you know, American Pharaoh gets through the Preakness with a triple crown on the line, and of the, let's just say, eight horses in the race, three of them are trained by Baffert. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He's got to do what's right by his owners, and it, it's got to be a tough juggling act. Uh, in one case, I'd love to be in his shoes when I go to the bank, but I wouldn't like to be in his shoes when I have to answer the phone for my different owners going, okay, who's going in this race? <laughs> One last uh, tidbit on the Peter Pan. This is just my prediction after watching the way that the Illinois Derby was run. This is going to be the last time we see Conquest Curling on dirt. He has got the most turfy action you've ever seen. I think his future is going to be on the grass. All right. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, Matt. Again, we were just talking about uh, the Peter Pan. We just got a couple more minutes left, and as long as we got the guy that's kind of based in New York, though he's, uh, I, I believe, a Massachusetts guy originally. Um, take a look. we got a grade one, the Man of War. Last year's uh, winner, Imagining, is, is coming back. But uh, Twilight Eclipse, who uh, has been nipping at his heels, is going to be in there. They're both coming out of the Pan American. Uh, the edge here is Imagining is certainly a Belmont horse for course. Yeah, you know, he's really, in his two starts this year, the seven-year-old, he's finally acting like a proper racehorse where he's changing leads on cue and he's not getting goofy down the lane. I think that's a product of this new running style coming from off the pace rather than going forward. That being said, I'm still leery. It's imagining. I know imagining at this point and what he is. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with him. He's earned a million dollars. But I just kind of get the vibe that he's not a proper grade one sort you look at, you mentioned Twilight Eclipse. I was disappointed in his effort last time out. I thought he finally got away from main sequence. He should have taken advantage, and he didn't. And I go through this whole field, and there's no one that is really jumping off the page. A lot of people see hardest core. I've never been a big fan of his. I thought the Arlington Million was a very weak field that he beat. Dynamic Sky, I've never liked him. I'm taking the oddball horse that hasn't raced in almost 18 months. I think the number two hyper going out for Chad Brown and Ken Sarah Ramsey. It's a horse that has repeatedly proven to fire fresh. If you go through and look at all the main layoff lines, he comes back and fires. Now, granted, this is a long, long layoff, but if he can still run a little bit, and I have to assume that he can, otherwise they would have sent him to the farm and he'd go off to the breeding shed, I I really think Hyper's got an outside chance in this race and hopefully at a big number. Matt, did you hear anything uh, between the Ramseys and Chad Brown? What's going on there with the, 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 the scratch that happened over the weekend? I was told, and again, this is not 100%, this is just hearsay, uh, that the argument was over the running of Slumber in a certain spot, running against Stephanie's kitten, and the whole night, it, it all got worked out, everybody's cool, no, no hard feelings, but 
it was a little bit of a bizarre scene there at Churchill when I'm going through scratches on Saturday morning and I see all the big name Ramsey horses are scratching and um, it seems like everything is all taken care of but um, and wouldn't it be fitting enough that the week a week later if they could uh, score up a Belmont in a big uh, a big spot. Yeah, I, I, I was hoping it wasn't a marriage-ending uh, situation. Well, Matt Bernie, enjoy your handicapping. Enjoy your style. Uh, your presentation is fantastic. Again, I want to remind everybody that DRF Live is going to start on Wednesday with the post-position draw at, at 4 o'clock. Uh, Thursday, uh, uh, Matt and Dan Illman are going to be down at Pimlico, and then they're going to have a big weekend with the Black-Eyed Susan and the Preakness Stakes. Matt, thanks so much for being on Winning Ponies. I really appreciate your participation. Thank you, John. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Okay. Well, we've got big racing coming up at Belmont this weekend, and don't forget in two weeks we've got the Preakness. Stay tuned to Winning Ponies. Those easy win forms are bringing out some huge winners. Looking across the manicured turf course, across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, everybody, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.